You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. It's here. We've made it. We're finally going to talk about The Mandalorian Season 2 on Disney+. Plus. Yay! <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm trying to show enthusiasm for John, who's a little distracted <laughs> right now. That's fair. <laughs> like, obviously, uh, there are certain people in this podcast that are going to enjoy it a lot more than other people. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, before we get to that, we're going to get into our week's watch. I guess I should mention that Steven's not with us this week, but he did send in a week's watch. Let's go ahead and get into his first. Listen here. Hello, everybody. This is Steven. Uh, I don't get to be there with everyone else today, but right here in the week's watch, I'm getting to submit a recording to be able to still talk about a thing that I love after everyone else talked about a thing that they watched or read or <laughs> played or something else yeah. this week that they enjoyed very much. Uh, with this time, I want to be able to tell you guys about a video game that I love that I played years ago, but that seems to be on sale on most platforms right now. On PSN, it's only $3, so I want to make sure and speak up for it so people get to experience it if they haven't got the chance yet. It's a game called Oxenfree. Um, in, in the game, you're, you're playing as a girl with a group of other high schoolers who are kind of like on the, on the cusp of graduation. They're having this one little like kind of like last hurrah with each other um, in what's considered like a local tradition to go to this weird island that has some odd things going on with it. Um, it's supposed to be kind of like spooky and other things like that. And people just kind of go to challenge each other to spend a night there. And uh, probably, you know, get into weird teenage uh, hijinks with each other for the first time. But yeah, so in this one, um, you got to get to direct the narrative by choosing the way that conversation goes. You talk to different people in different orders as you guys move across the map and kind of unravel the mystery of the place. Um, the order of the conversation bits that you choose to have, the way that you interact with different people, whether you're like warm, friendly, or cold to certain people based on the interactions that they're having with you, um, it, it influences the outcome of the story in a very big way. And I don't know, it's it's just a really interesting narrative. It's got, like I said, some kind of light, spooky elements, like. People reference the Twilight Zone, Twin Peaks, a few other things like that. Um, for anyone who does play video games in a big way, um, if you liked the video game Night in the Woods or Inside, I would say this is probably also for you. So 
I don't know. If you're just looking for a good game and maybe you didn't get anything fulfilling out of this kind of spooky season for Halloween, give it a try. It's $3 on PSN. It's on sale on most other platforms like Steam. Um, I think it's on sale on, on the Epic Game Store as well. But yeah, give it a try. It's on mobile also. Just have a good time. Enjoy a good game. And tell someone else about it. It deserves to get talked about more than it is already. Uh, Mitch, um, back to you, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess that is back to me <laughs> after that. Uh, has anybody else had an opportunity to play that game? No. Not a clue. I've, I've seen it, and it does look really cool. I, I was thinking it had sort of a Stranger Things vibe. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, About it makes right. sense why Steven likes it. Uh. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I've always wondered... And maybe either the historian or the wordsmith on this uh, podcast panel here would know <laughs> the etymology of the word oxen free. Like, why do we use it when we're playing hide and seek or tag or whatever it is? Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. Right. Oh, I don't know that one. Neither do I. I'm thoroughly stumped. Maybe, John, do you, do you have it in your vast knowledge of trivial things? Um, I I've ever looked that up, but uh, just for the etymology of it, I'm assuming it probably started as just something like said in playgrounds. Um, that I'm really just jumping to conclusions here, but it could have been something to do with like, uh, I would say, uh, like not colonial times, but you know, like when you had the people starting to venture out towards the west and. You know, hey, the the oxen's free. You know, go round it up and put it in the cage or something. You know, I, I'm thinking somewhere along those lines, maybe. So the very brief, quick Google search provides me with yeah. the response that "ali ali oxen free" is a mutation from something akin to "all ye out all ye out come in come free. in free." So tags over, so you can all come out. That's when you say it. And just over time, it became Ollie Ollie Oxen Free. Yep, that's how because most things kids just don't happen. know. How um, <laughs> it it seems to be the morphing of that from the German phrase. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Stephen, for recommending the game and bringing up my curiosity <laughs> <laughs> and stumping the panel and stumping the panel. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, what was your watch this week? So my Geeks Watch this week is due to the fact that our uh, satellite provider every once in a while gives us channels that they don't normally give us. And so I have been catching up on Alton Brown's Good Eats, The Return, mm -hmm. so the new seasons. Uh, so I have been learning about steak tartare mm -hmm. and what to do with medjool dates mm -hmm. and learning how to make my own poke. All of those good things. So what is the best thing to do with medjool dates other than throw them in the garbage? Oh, stuff them with blue cheese and wrap them in bacon. Oh, okay. So hey, haven't you ever had a date shake from Dateland? <laughs> no, because dates are terrible. Oh, man. It how do you live like, here? Tastes kind of like chocolate, actually. <laughs> I like that? dates. I said those date shakes taste kind of like chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm say, not a big chocolate person. Or he just showed me how to make a sticky pudding ah. with the dates, which now, I'm very intrigued about. I have asked you mm -hmm. to see if he has any popcorn 
recipes or ideas or you have i have not come across any okay that's what i'm interested in better chips he does have chips okay he does have have, that one with you then yes um also if you haven't yet i just started following alton brown on twitter (laughs) uh he had quite the run of tweets on election night (laughs) you should really go and check out the next day he tweeted this first thing he tweeted was i blacked out what happened <laughs> so you should really go check that out if you haven't anybody else a big fan of alton browns and good eats it's cool yeah fun. used to watch it all the time and i, I loved it yeah it, it paired ahead. the science which i found fascinating because at the time i was obsessed with science and i was like wow there's science in making a pie. Like it's just, I really like that though. Cool. I do. I appreciate the explanation of the why mm-hmm. and the general tips and tricks because yes, I can, I can look up his recipes just fine, but the advantage of the show is finding those things that are applicable to other things or ha- the reason why behind a piece to the recipe. So you can substitute out if you don't have what he calls for Mm -hmm. uh for instance in terms of tips and tricks uh the salt sprinkling salt in your coffee grinds before brewing to take some out of the bitter taste of it and uh using a pizza cheese shaker for your flour for dusting the countertops when you're getting ready to knead dough or roll dough out um (laughs) But I, my one critique is, is he often gets very, like with most cooking shows, he gets very caught up in the, no, you can only use the best of this best of this best thing, and you have to have your fishmonger and your specific butcher. And I'm like, you do realize that only works if you live in a big city. Like, we don't have any butchers here. <laughs> like... There's meat counters at the grocery stores, but we don't have a butcher in Yuma. And we certainly don't have a fishmonger in the middle of the desert. So (laughs) some of those things. You're not living in coastal California. That's your own fault. (laughs) Clearly. Clearly. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, overall, I I do enjoy Alton Brown quite a bit. So that's what I've been watching. Yeah, this the, week. the the few episodes that I've watched with you, like I I enjoy it because it reminds me of Adam ruins everything, which I know mm. came after uh, mm-hmm. the show, but it's very much the same format of here's the fact, here's where you can look it up, and here's some jokes to go along with it. There you go. And the only other time that I've ever watched anything with Alton Brown was Cutthroat Kitchen. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, the only thing I've ever seen with him. Uh, okay. That is on the cooking channel right now. Yeah. (laughs) As we know, because we don't normally have it. Jessica, what is your watch this week? Uh, So I decided to, I don't know why, download the Spyro trilogy on my Nintendo Switch. (laughs) And so, yeah, the the video game Spyro. So I've been playing that and I beat, I think, the first game. I think I beat it in. I don't know, maybe eight hours. I'm not for sure. And I got like 100% on most of the worlds too. 
And it's just another one of those where you're playing that game that you used to play as a kid and you used to think was a super hard game that you would never complete. And then you get it as an adult and you're like, man, this is easy. So, yeah, (laughs) that's been fun. And I also decided to listen to Steven and I started watching The Owl House on Disney Plus. And I'm still in season one, though. And it, it actually is. It is really good. It's a fun, different kind of sort of twist on wanting to learn magic and a magic sort of universe too and kind of flips it a little bit it's kind of i don't know it's very much along the lines of star versus the forces of evil too like just which like a lot of it's just really good writing really interesting storytelling yeah (laughs) okay yeah i i I never played the spyro games so I, i i wouldn't but you should go back and do like Aladdin. Like that I, one's hard, right? I have Aladdin actually. And yeah, it is hard. And I have, I bought the, the one of the first games I bought when I got the Switch was the Aladdin and Lion King combo. <laughs> I got past that about right. the first it's level. Tracks. I'm like, if I remember hard. About, I'm playing Mario. Yeah. <laughs> I remember anything about that Lion King game. It's very, it's very similar to the Aladdin game, right? And it's it's side-scrolling platform. Yeah, it is, but it just doesn't tell you like what to do. And I'm like, I haven't played a side-scrolling in so long. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I need to go back to it. Right? I should, I should go back to those. So games on the Switch network, you could just download, just like like PlayStation Network kind of games. Yeah, yeah, you you can just download them. Yeah. Well, it's dope. so the Switch Network on Nintendo, and also Owl House once again on Disney Plus mm-hmm. and Disney XD. I think. I Steven's gonna be so excited when think. he listens to this. Yeah, I yeah. think I don't know, but for sure Disney Plus. There you go, John. What did you watch this week? All right, so I didn't watch anything cinematic. Uh, unfortunately, I was pretty busy. I did rewatch the Ocean's movies again because it's just been that kind of a month. Um, but I did venture into some YouTube lands here, and I came across a series put on by BuzzFeed. Now, some people don't like BuzzFeed. They kind of have been known for having clickbaity tactics, mm-hmm. and some people don't like that. Yeah, Some of their content has been controversial in the past whatever these videos are pretty fun they made a whole series called i accidentally became a meme where they tracked down and talked to some of the people um such as uh the erma gerd girl the bad luck brian the overly attached girlfriend Mm -hmm. and they're they're pretty short they're like all under 10 minutes Uh, i think the longest one is uh yeah the, the overly attached girlfriend is like eight and a half minutes the rest are usually less than that and they just talk about how, you know, the origins of, you know, whatever it was that got turned into meme happened. Like, oh, you know, I was just, you know, goofing off and they took this picture of me and, you know, just forgot about it. And then, you know, like some time later that somebody says, hey, like, uh, why am I seeing you on Facebook all of a sudden? And, you know, <laughs> people's lives just get kind of turned upside down, you know, from one day to the next. Um, my favorite one so far has been the kombucha girl. Uh, that's the one that has that reaction of like, I don't like this. And then the, oh, maybe, you know, like kind of face. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize that she was drinking kombucha in that thing. That that's what that was from. It was from a TikTok video that somebody relatively famous somehow came across and he like started linking it into different things. And 
this person, uh, you know, they say their names and everything. They say, hey, I'm this person. Um, like, what's going on? And the guy was like, oh, this is you? So he tagged her. And then it just, like, became crazy. Like, all these memes started mm-hmm. popping up. She said that she used to work at a bank. And it was, like, a really normal, really straight-laced, you know, desk job, basically. And that it basically cost her her job because people called her in, like, oh, her no. bosses. Yeah, they were like, so um, we need you to make a decision. Like, you can either work here or, you know do these things on the internet but you can't do both and she was like i have no control over this like everybody's doing this on of their own accord um and i guess one of the ones that came into question specifically at her job was uh you know they obviously can put whatever they want in those pictures so the one that kind of got her in trouble at work it said something like, you know, eating butt for the first time. And those were her reactions of like the disgust. And then like, well, actually. Um, and she was like, yeah, I didn't do that. Like people are putting that on the internet without my approval. And they're like, well, then we can't have you here if that's if, if this is going to be a thing then. Clearly not understanding how the internet works, obviously. But yeah. uh, most of these people have a relatively positive experience, though. Uh, they talk about the success baby. Um, you know, it was yes, that one <laughs> kind of <laughs> looks like a miniature Patton Oswalt. Um, yeah. he, uh, his story actually turned out really cool because, uh, you know, some years later, his father needed like a kidney transplant or something. Oh, and, yeah, I heard of it. Yeah, and they they raised like a Kickstarter for him, and just based off of the recognizability of the meme alone, it's like, hey, success kid needs your help you know, saving his dad with it, whatever. And they actually met their goal and they got the operation and everything. So that actually had a really good turnout. Um, others, like the overly attached girlfriend, um, they did not have a good go of it eventually. Like the the sudden internet fame eventually caused him like depression. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So she actually took a step back and kind of just left it all behind. She was kind of keeping a thing going on like Facebook and uh, on YouTube with her own channel. She did guest appearances with other people as their meme characters. Um, but eventually she was like, yeah, just at, at some point it just got too much and I had to just kind of put it behind me, take a step away. Um, and so, but yeah, mostly everybody else says like, it's just been kind of crazy. Like bad, like Brian says he's actually the luckiest person he knows um, because <laughs> he's consistently just, getting recognized for it and people want to take his picture and um the only thing that most of them say that they don't appreciate is that other people or other companies will start monetizing on it like uh bad luck brian says one day he saw somebody walking around with a shirt with his face on it and i was like hey where'd you get that and the guy was like hot topic and sure enough yeah like there's a line of clothing just based on internet meme stuff so that's mm-hmm. probably like a whole Wild West frontier as far as, uh, you know, what people's rights are when it comes to something like this that's still being, you know, figured out. But it was pretty interesting overall. Like the Irma Gerd girl was really funny. Um, she said that that was just done as a joke. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, her whole life got turned upside down. Um, she was out at the time. huh? <laughs> I said like the Fresh Prince? Exactly like that on that rotating chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, the <laughs> the height of pain Harold was particularly funny for some reason because he's just like an engineer that started doing like photo stock 
like work on the side because he just thought it was fun. Oh, really? Yeah, he was just like a photo, a, a stock photography model essentially, and people just took like his expression is pretty priceless to be honest. So that took a life of its own, and but he loves it. He thinks it's great. Um, so wait, 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 what was the story behind the first, uh, the overly attached girlfriend, like her first picture? Like what oh. was that? The- so that was from a Justin Bieber contest. I think that was around 2012. Um, Justin Bieber was coming out with a fragrance called Girlfriend. Um, mm. And he had a song called Boyfriend. And so he basically said to his fans, like, hey, I want some one of you to write a song for my commercial um, using the word girlfriend. Um, and, you know, make it to the tune of the, the other song that he had called Boyfriend. So she thought about making it, you know, like a girlfriend that's really psychotically attached to their boyfriend, like obsessed and stuff. So she would do that kind of weird stalker face, like periodically between the breaks in the lyrics. And she just thought that was like, that was going to be it. You know, like Mm -hmm. it was going to get seen. It wasn't going to win or anything. She just thought it was fun. Um, But all of this, I guess the, the finalists got posted somewhere and people saw the videos and they particularly liked hers because of those weird expressions that she does where she's just kind of staring at you with like dead eyes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, that became like all of a sudden a thing on like 4chan and then caught on on Reddit and then Facebook. And yeah, she became. And then the creepy part is, though, that people are really good at tracking these other people down and they're not ready for that. Because all of a sudden people start ringing, like, you know, their phone's ringing off the hook. They're getting emails, getting messages. Um, Actually, it's kind of separate to this. But uh, if you've ever seen the Leroy Jenkins video from World of Warcraft. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, well, this guild made a just kind of a joke video about a guy that messes up the guild's plans for, like, a dungeon battle. And, like... That thing blew up on the internet before YouTube even came out, I think. Like, this was, Mm -hmm. like, 2005. And um, it basically kind of ruined his fun with playing Warcraft because all of a sudden, like, thousands of people wanted to join their guild. And he said people would literally follow him around, not even talk to him. Just everywhere he went, they would follow him. Like, literally virtual stalkers. And (laughs) and eventually, it just took the fun away from it. Like, you know, Blizzard started capitalizing on it. Um, he didn't own the character, obviously, so you know he wasn't making any money off of the merchandising. So it just mm-hmm. kind of ruined it a little bit for him. But yeah, then people start tracking you down, and they start calling your real house and know your real name and post your details online, and then it becomes a whole different thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is a thing that you can look up on YouTube. Was there other things that you wanted to talk about john uh that's it for now i'm just basically what i spent most of my brain cells on (laughs) okay uh for my week's watch i watched all uh six seasons of schitt's creek plus the farewell like documentary episode after the sixth season it's uh it's a show (laughs) a lot of people really like it i can see why like I don't know. To me, the I, I know that everybody really loves the characters, and I have to respect like what it does for the LGBTQ community. Uh, 
but I think I feel the same way as I did about Crazy Rich Asians, that even though it's putting a spotlight on and making a marginalized group of people very much uh, normalized, it still just doesn't have that great of a story. So even though Daniel Levi, who is the creator of the show and plays a queer character that isn't a stereotypical queer character, as in uh, the best friend or uh, over the top or flamboyant, I mean, David is over the top. It's just not the stereotypical character that we always see. And that is good. It's just... I could not get behind uh, a bunch of people that used to be rich and kind of make fun of the fact that poor people do things differently than rich people. Like, that's kind of the shtick throughout the whole thing. I really don't feel like anybody grows as a character Mm -hmm. throughout all six seasons because they all kind of still end up being the same. They're all better off, yes, and they kind of come together as a family a little bit better, but you never really got the idea that their family life was all that terrible when before you meet them. Mm-hmm. So I, I, to me, it just, it, you, you don't really, I just didn't, didn't get really, really get much out of the whole season, it, but I wouldn't say it's bad because I did watch all six seasons. So I, that's where I'm at with that show. I get why a lot of people like it. I get why it won all the Emmys in the, its last season. Cause the last two episodes are, pretty moving Hmm. but other than that i just it was it didn't blow me away and maybe that's only because it was hyped up so much yeah john jessica did you guys either of you watch it i'm on i think season two i think but it's been a while since i picked it up again because i think it's kind of the same thing i don't i like the writing of it i i do like it it's just not something that i can like sit and binge watch like it's and it's, it's it's the same thing. Yeah, it's I don't like it when characters don't grow and develop and they're not growing and developing. So it's just kind yeah. of it's kind of sitcommy. It's like it's a weird sort of sitcom and but it also doesn't feel like it's written like it should be a sitcom, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Where is it available? Uh, it's on Netflix right now. All yeah. yeah, all six seasons are on Netflix plus it's in uh, second run syndication, like just about everywhere now. Like I think it's on Comedy Central and uh, also on Pop. It's original station, which I think is Pop is going away actually. So. Now, if you want to see a well written show with character growth and a lot of really messed up but also funny situations, I highly recommend Six Feet Under. I've heard I that mean, one was good. Yeah, I, re- I watched Six Feet Under when it first had its run. Uh, but I didn't finish throughout the whole thing, so I I have been wanting to go back and rewatch it. So it's worth it. That final episode, it's I mean the epitome of a gut punch. It's incredible. Very cool. I we'll have to go back and check that out. Okay, well there is our week's watch plus Stephen who went first instead of last as he thought he was going to be going. Mm-hmm. Let's get into. The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1, Chapter 9, mm-hmm. The Marshal. That's a mouthful. Right? <laughs> it's, it's just like saying Star Wars Episode 3, <laughs> whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. Come on. Revenge of the Sith. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Something, something, something dark. Dark. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 Skywalker's screw things up <laughs> you know what that would be a good summary it's like 
Skywalker has something I, to do in every generation. I, I do have to ask for the Star Wars people. Mm. Is Cog Vance, is that what his name? Cog Vanth? Cog Vanth, yeah. 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 Cog Vanth, is that, is he riding around on Anakin's pod racer's engine? Turbine? I'm glad you asked, Mitch. Yes, yes. He is. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> it's Tatooine. Just you know something. I did know something. I picked something up. No, the no. sad thing is, was I was looking at my phone at that part, and I recognized it by its sound. I looked up, and I was like, "That's that's yep. Anakin's pod racer." Like, I'm like, hey, like, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want to get really technical and geeky about it, which mm-hmm. I do, mm. uh, that is a radon ulcer engine. And it was upside down and missing one of its uh, directional fins, yes, if you really wanted to know those details. But yes, that was looks like it was a modified pod racer. Uh, non-canonically, it is known as uh, Destiny's favorite. Um, but since all the Legends is thrown out, it's no longer uh, official. But it could still be somewhere down the line named like, oh yeah, there was that one pod racer once from Tatooine that had that one custom-built pod or whatever. I mean, where on Tatooine is Anakin supposed to be from? Is he supposed to be from Mos Eisley? Yeah, no, Mos he, he was from Mos uh, Espa. Okay. Yeah, Mos Eisley is the one that Luke goes to and mm-hmm. the Mandalorian goes to in season one. Well, technically in this one too. Uh, Mos Espa was the one where they had the Boom to Eve and Wado's Junkyard and the Pod Race track and all that. Um, they showed you in this episode when they bring out the R5 droid, which another callback to episode four, that was R5-D4, the one with the bad motivator. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, and you can see all the the messed up parts in the back of its dome from when it blew up originally. Yep. But yeah, when okay. he projected the map, they, they show you kind of real quick, kind of where everything is located. So you can see a bit more or less like the, between the two towns, there's just like nothing but a big like span of sand dunes, desert. And then this third town, which this is not the first time we hear about it officially. This was actually uh, talked about in the book Aftermath, which was the first canon book in the new Disney Star Wars continuity. Which is and, also where they introduce Cobb Vanth, right? That's right, yes. And the best, essentially the story that he says here is accurate, but there were more details uh, having to do with um, what was going on in his side of things. He definitely gave you like the truncated version. Um, but I guess to kind of summarize what we're doing here, like Mandalorian is re-picking up his task of finding the Yodeling's like family or race, <laughs> I guess. Some kind of... Uh, people to take him to and for some reason he thinks that he needs the help of other mandalorians like i don't know where that portion came from if the armorer told them look for more of our kind or something like that in the last season um but that's his mission so we start off in a different planet i don't remember if they said where he was in that first part um i think it was typed across the screen briefly but i would yeah i didn't catch it yeah I, i didn't see it either um but yeah, it wouldn't stream on my Chromecast, so I had to watch it on my phone, which kind of sucked for the some of the later parts where it looked pretty epic. Uh, oh. But we'll get to that. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, right away we start seeing some Easter eggs. There's some like Berlin Walls-looking graffiti that seems to defect, depict uh, sequences or events from the original trilogy. 
Um, you see what looked like droids and stormtroopers, and uh, somebody on a YouTube video translated some of the Arabish on the walls, and mm -hmm. it said words like freedom, Alderaan, and um, I, I think rebellion or something like that were kind of thrown in there. But you can't really see a lot of those too clearly. But you can go, if you have the uh, English to Arabish alphabet, you can go back and just like retranslate it. So he's going to meet a... <laughs> yeah. He's going to meet what looks like some kind of crime lord, a cyclops named uh, uh, Gore Koresh, voiced by John Leguizamo. Which, Do you think he was also in the suit, like no. back in his clown days from Spawn? Not at all. I don't think there was any reason for him to be in the suit. It He was completely unrecognizable anyway, so I figure it, I'm pretty sure it was just the voice. IMDb says it's just the voice, so I'm going to go with that. Mm. Okay. Um, and so he, this informant is going to tell him whether there's another Mandalorian, but it turns out to be a double cross. Uh, he basically wants his Mandalorian armor because Beskar's really expensive. And the Mandalorian, in typical fashion, kicks everyone's ass, interrogates the guy and says, oh, well, there's a Mandalorian on Tatooine. <sighs> when was the last time we heard of a Mandalorian on Tatooine? Anybody? I, I know. Uh Anybody who doesn't know Star Wars? <laughs> there you go. go. Go ahead, Jessica. Okay. So the last time it was going to be Boba Fett getting eaten by the, whatever the thing I always forget the name of. Oh, Jabba's Star Star Palace. Snarl, yeah. But and then I went, because I am not a fan but, of Boba Fett. <laughs> but, but Boba Fett isn't a Mandalorian. He just has Mandalorian armor, right? This is correct. Yes. However... A lot of details about Boba Fett have been kind of up in the air since the whole Disney acquisition. There was a lot of stuff in the extended material in the expanded universe that went more into detail about it. And even there, it kind of flip-flopped back and forth whether or not he was really a Mandalorian or not. Um, I think ultimately they were stating he, he wasn't and neither was Django. Um, they just used uh, Mandalorian armor because of its, you know, obviously... You know, defensive capabilities, and if people see that you're wearing that, they're less likely to mess with you. Just you know, from the intimidation factor. I feel uh, like yeah. from what you get from his character when he's a kid and the Clone Wars show that he is not a Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, he's he's just an orphan kid becoming an outlaw in the Clone Wars show. Say, yeah. Obviously, Django took off his helmet all the time, so yeah. yeah. Well, that's I mean, and this and that's another thing is like I think the implication is with how he's looking for under Mandalorians is that that really is just his sect of Mandalorians oh. that do that is what I'm assuming. Yeah, because even in in uh, in Rebels, when you see other Mandalorians, they take off their helmet, no problem. Yeah, and they have, and it's kind of sort of explained in Rebels too. It doesn't go too in detail, but there are separate families and separate clans on the Mandalorian planets that do things differently. That's why it's such a volatile sort of planet. Like, if anything, I could compare them to anybody. It'd be like maybe like the Celts or like Vikings, where they're all one group of people, but they all kind of sort of interfight and not necessarily follow the same rules between clan to clan from what I'm understanding. But that was of course years ago before this show. So, uh. well, and in his recap, he says he was brought up in a particular fighting group. Yeah. Like they, a they, particular clan, a particular fighting clan. Yeah. Um, he has a specific name for him, but in the recap for this episode, they talk about that. So it would make sense that it, 
has different sects or clans. And uh, I thought it was an interesting thing I heard on one of Kevin Smith's podcasts, Fat Man Beyond. Mm. Uh, Mark Bernard and his co-host on that show brought up the fact that Mandalorian is not just a like clan name. It's also a faith kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Well, that's what it turned into now, yeah. And everybody like just calling him Mando would kind of be the equivalent of, you know, just calling a Jewish person, hey Jew, as yep. he walked into the room. Like yeah. that seems kind of weird and terrible. <laughs> yeah. Don't know if you've noticed though. People are kind of generally terrible. Yeah, I mean, this is kind true. Of generally. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the honest trailer that I linked uh, earlier this week, I think they make a point to say that uh, they treat Mando like a slur. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, Apollo Creed doesn't. I forget what his actual name is. Reef Carga. Yeah, well, that's his character's name. I was talking about the actor, but yes. Uh, Carl Winslow or what? Carl Weathers? Weathers, that's his name, yeah. But yeah, I feel like <laughs> he can, he doesn't really do it as a slur. I think he's kind of more like, hey, buddy, like the way he says it. <laughs> well, yeah. because, yeah, he doesn't serve his uh, You either. can do that to slurs, too, though. Like. <laughs> that's fair. Okay. So uh, we, hey, we go to Tatooine. We were talking about earlier, though, John, uh-huh. Aftermath. Was yep. that written by Dave Filoni? No, that was uh, Charles Wendig, I want to say. Okay. Uh, I just no, know that yeah. he's, he's heavily involved in this season, so I didn't know if that was one of the things that he, one of the ca- characters he created. Uh, no, no, this was specifically in the book, uh, book character only. But yeah, they do go into more detail in the book, talking. It's called aftermath because it's literally what happens right after the events of Return of the Jedi, and in Tatooine in specific. I mean, you have two problems that arise all of a sudden. First, uh, the person that was kind of controlling the whole planet, Jabba the Hutt, is now dead. Um, yeah. And then the only other semblance of law and order that was there was the Empire, which was, you know, no longer existent. Um, and they even show you the footage of, you know, them watching uh, the Death Star explode in the bar, kind of similar to how some of us are watching the you know, election results that are currently going on. <laughs> and just waiting for that power vacuum to be filled suddenly. Uh, but yeah, Cobb Vanth uh, is, is definitely a real character from the new canon, first introduced in the book. And now he's brought to the flesh by timothy oliphant that's like the book is actually a trilogy there's three aftermaths Oy. yeah that go and wedges in it and a bunch of other new characters too oh so, yeah they, they yeah. talk about what which has been up to in the meantime ah. sounds like uh that's a, a future love of pages there then <laughs> yeah that's what i'll do i'll make them read a star wars novel the, the look that ben just gave you <laughs> i i've only read one star wars novel so far and it was the galaxy's edge one so you should read the republic of mando series those are awesome and they really go into mandalorian stuff I know, but that's like, not uh, canon anymore, so I don't want to read that one. Actually, yeah. I kind of want to read the Leia ones that came out a few years ago. Oh, yeah. That's about true. her that's teenage about her. years, how she started the rebellion, too. So I really want to read those. They're on my list. I'll get there eventually. Who knows? I won't, <laughs> I won't make the love of pages read them. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
I think it should also be brought up that this episode was actually directed by John Favreau, whereas none of the episodes in the first season were directed by him. Just he was the showrunner. Mm. I can believe I, they were written by him too. Oh yeah, they were written I, by him too. Can I also say that? Did anybody notice how beautiful those banthas looked? They were very cool. They were very cool looking. Like I thought that was a real animal. It was well, so beautiful. The, 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 they show how much TLC the Tuscan Raiders actually give them, like brushing their fur and brushing I know, their teeth. Right? I was like, they look and so cute. Using them as bait. And then using them as bait, <laughs> blowing them up. <laughs> blowing them up, yeah. yeah poor just... <laughs> so uh I guess fast forwarding to yeah, I mean we made Amy Sidaris's character again, but that's kind of a non-character, like whatever. Uh, Mando goes to this one like kind of hidden little town that's no longer on any maps uh, because there's just been a lot of turmoil. People aren't really keeping track of what's going on anymore. This is only five years after the end of Return of the Jedi, but you know, I guess that's a long time and the galaxy's far, far away. Tatooine and, is Tatooine, man. <laughs> yeah, Tatooine is just a backwater place with no law and order. Um, so Mando shows up, and it's like this. This becomes like a hardcore western. <laughs> I mean, like, he rolls into town, like, the townspeople look at him. The only thing we were missing was, like, somebody looking from a window and then closing the shutters. <laughs> like, that's the only thing. Like, and they didn't have the little swivel doors on the bar. It was just, like, open door, nothing. Just walk right on in. Uh, but they did I mean, have the tunes. The first season, that's why. Uh, well, yeah, they had that, like, circular door, whatever that yeah, was. Yeah. Like, the aperture. Star um, yeah. So... <laughs> So he says, hey, I'm looking for a Mandalorian, someone that looks like me. And the bartender's like just kind of gives like a side eye or side glance to the door. And you see the silhouette of a Mandalorian, but something looks off. Like it doesn't look like it's properly fitting in a way. And um, the guy walks in and I mean, people that know, know that this is Boba Fett's armor. It looks like it's been through crap, but... This is definitely Boba Fett's helmet and chest piece and backpack or jetpack. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy sits down, takes his helmet off, and offers the Mandalorian a drink. And that's when you know that he's not a Mandalorian, or at least not the way that Mando is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the Mandalorian is like, hey, you're not a Mandalorian. Take that off now. And I guess it's really disrespectful and only Mandalorians can wear Mandalorian gear because he doesn't follow the creed, which I guess we'll get more into later on. Uh, future spoilers, potentially. But we'll find out what exactly is going on with this Mandalorian culture. Um, they're going to have a shootout right in front of the baby. And thankfully, we're saved. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, yeah, yeah, seen worse. Uh, but uh, the day is saved, or at least postponed, by a Graboid. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I said. I said, they're going to put tremors in the show? Okay, maybe I can come around now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is a bit of a retcon in a way, because what we saw here is a crate dragon. <laughs> and the sound that it makes is the exact same sound that Obi-Wan does in episode four, in his first <laughs> scene when he appears to uh, to save Luke from the sand people. Every time I rewatch episode four, every time I'm like, of all the cuts and edits that George Lucas did, he never took out that stupid sound. Because <laughs> it makes <laughs> zero sense later on. That sound makes zero 
sense as to why that sound happens. Well, it's because they never explain in the movie itself. I mean, it was in the novelization exactly what was happening there, but... Of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, if you read like the Star Wars Encyclopedia and all the other supplemental material, they definitely talk about all that stuff. Or if you played Knights of the Old Republic, where one of the missions is you have to kill a Kray Dragon and get the pearl out. Uh, I'm it never going to get down. there. <laughs> I can't even really... get past killing these stupid dogs. Oh. Trying to become a Jedi, little assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a bit of a canon update, the crate dragon originally just looked like a large iguana, or like a large Komodo dragon, where it had four limbs and it was, you know, above ground terrestrial kind of monsters. It was still big, but not an underground burrowing snake-looking shark monster. Hmm. So now we have a, an official canonical representation of what the Kray Dragon is supposed to look like. Although, if you look carefully, at in Episode 4, when C-3PO is wandering the desert, there's a skeleton in the background of the sand dunes of like a giant mm-hmm. serpent-looking thing. And that was a dead Kray Dragon also. Kray Dragon. Okay. You, you, we, did we mention that Cobb Vanth was played by Timothy Oliphant yet? several no. times yes did we did you yes i mean i think we've talked about it around this podcast but yes <laughs> yeah i don't think we that ele- helmet and it was like oh timothy oliphant is playing a marshall again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> surprise <laughs> yeah the, the the fact that they brought in the quintessential on-screen cowboy to play the marshall on uh this show he also, the bartender in this episode is also from Deadwood. Ah. Uh, w. Earl Brown? Yes, Brown. He's he's a, He was a bartender in Deadwood also. So <laughs> it was a cool little reunion for the two of them. But Crate Dragons. Yeah, so uh, Cobb Banth makes the deal. He says, hey, tell you what, you help me kill that thing, you can have the armor back. And uh, during their little, like, expedition to kind of you know scope out take a little bit of scouting of the the cray dragon's home and lair uh you know that's when Cobb Band tells him the story it's like well you know like after the empire fell miners came over took over the town turned everyone into slaves i managed to get away i stole one of those little ice cream machines that has been repurposed to be like a little safe now and um when he was finally found by jawas several days later you know they gave him water and they found that what he stole was these precious crystals and they wanted mm-hmm. them. So they tried offering him like different droids, uh, some of the same stuff that's still been in there since the episode four days, apparently. <laughs> but there was one new addition uh, in the background. You see some Mandalorian armor that looks like it's had some, some acid burns or some kind of wear and tear on it. And he says, I want that. So, so in- like the idea is, at this point, you have to assume that they pulled the, the armor off of a dead Boba Fett, right? Like, the Sarlacc spits him out, and he's dead, and they just pulled the armor off. Definitely. I, I would assume, right? That would be the assumption at first, yes. And since they're also Jawas, they they refurbish stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you think the armor is in working condition when Jawas get a hold of it, or do they repair it? Like, 
for him to just be able to put it on and then all of a sudden the rocket launcher works <laughs> and you know those tubes that are going from the side of his helmet into the the handgun like i don't know it's that all seemed very fish, fishy to me but i guess if the jaw was fixed it it's okay well, keep in mind that at the time that that happened, that was only maybe a week, if that, after the events of Return of the Jedi. So okay. it, it probably was all still well in working order. Or if there was any minor repairs that needed to happen, I'm sure that most of the people are technologically advanced enough that they could do their own little, you know, <clears throat> like fixers on their things. I don't think it was at a point where it was inserviceable. I think it was definitely like ready to go when he got a hold of it. It does have that giant dent in the forehead, though, or the helmet. Like, is that from the Sarlacc, or was that something in the movie? Uh, well, from his first introduction, he already had that, but they canonically oh. added it in uh, Attack of the Clones. Uh, Jango Fett bumps his head on the door when he's getting into the ship at one point. Wait, Django's helmet is the same as Boba's helmet, even though it's a different color? Yeah, supposedly it's the same armor. He just carried it over and then just modified it as he got older. Oh, okay. Same with the ship, know. too. It's also the, the ship started off as like a bluish and silver, and by the time the original trilogy comes around, it's more like rusty green and, and red and brown. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I mean, we so might they- know that right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> so they go and check out the lair of the crate dragon or first they run into the tuscan raiders yes which uh interesting that the mandalorian is doing this because up until now well up until at least the first season of the mandalorian tuscan raiders were strictly like savages like these people were wild uh uncultured uh, they were looking for any excuse to attack people take people as prisoners like they did with anakin's mom Gee, this sounds very familiar to real-life history. (laughs) (laughs) And we come to find out that they're actually very organized, very intelligent. They have a sophisticated communication system. They take care of their animals. very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so we we form an uneasy truce with the the Tusken Raiders in order to take this thing down because, uh, essentially... You know, the enemy of our enemy is our friend or something to this effect. Uh, so, you know, they decide that they, they need to team up to take this thing down. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, all of this, the whole episode is all about compromises and, you know, working towards a mutual goal, apparently. Compromises and, and blowing things up. <laughs> yes. You always got to well, have a little TNT. <laughs> when negotiations don't work. <laughs> The negotiations did work. The <laughs> negotiations are the reason we get the explosion. Yeah, but they did try to negotiate with the Kray Dragons. So. Well, they can't do aggressive negotiations because those involve a lightsaber. Oh, okay. Got you. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, so now that they volunteer the town to help them. Well, before they do that, they said, okay, well, let's send the Tusken Raider down there with a Bantha because the more it eats, the more sleepy it'll be. It'll be easier to take it down. They send the Tusken Raider and the Bantha they call out the crate dragon. The crate dragon eats the Tuscan Raider, <laughs> and it's much bigger than they thought at first. And uh, I love the expression, even though you can't see their faces. All of the Tuscan Raiders kind of have this "oh shit" look to them <laughs> when their buddy gets uh, eaten down there. So that yeah, that was pretty fun. And uh, yeah, you have a lot of fun banter. Baby Yoda was surprisingly not really involved in most of this episode. He was just kind of there in the background. Mm-hmm. 
but he he could have been left back at the at the the hangar with the wow. other lady that absolutely loves him, and probably would have been better off. That's my thing with this show. I think that it's so popular because of the Baby Yoda. When you realize that it's not that good of a show, otherwise, like it's not great. <laughs> For those of you just listening, you can't see the looks of confusion and disgust coming from John and Jessica. It is significantly. <laughs> better than the last show we watched i mean that's quite a fair. few shows i will not- say yes if you take the star wars element out of this it is a typical western story typical western show people redo those things all the time and throw it in different genres as well it's still decently written written the characters are still interesting I don't. I just. I don't are see they? how it's a bad show. Yes, I think they are. You do you really Who doesn't think like that, a good bounty hunter show? You think Jin Darjin is actually a really well written character? I think he's got the potential to be really well written. I definitely want to see what's going on, but the whole thing is that it's not even going to focus on, on him the whole season anyway. Why wouldn't it focus on him? He's the Mandalorian. <laughs> well, we already came out that it's going to be getting more characters and that he's not in every single episode of the season. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see if more things happen. I just don't. I think that this show <laughs> hit it big because it had a very cute and very merchandisable little character. And that's why it's a super popular. Just like you said with that other show, not the last one we watched, but the other one that that it was tricking you into thinking it's an actually a really good show. I don't remember what show that was at this point now. The Umbrella Academy? That's what we watched before Utopia. No, I don't think that I don't, Are Cursed. No, I think I think we Carnival. went back it went back all the way to The Outsider. Carnival Row. Oh, The Outsider. Oh, don't mention Carnival Row. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to go through it with watched in the last year a lot of stuff anyways so yes baby yoda is not really used in this episode all that much other than for quick funny gags and gizmo like moments i do appreciate his sense of agency in the first fight scene where he realizes things are going to go bad and he hides himself in his own little eggshell got it (laughs) he's like i i know how this is gonna go i'm just Good night. <laughs> I do appreciate that agency <laughs> being attached. Well, that aside being what it is. <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know, Mitch. <laughs> this 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 show, this episode specifically was so well shot. The effects mm-hmm. were so good for being a TV show. I mean, yeah, it's got Disney money behind it, but this I was gonna say a- just the TV show. This is Disney Plus. They are putting lots of money into it. This isn't okay. like just a normal show you would find on network television. But this thing looked great. This thing had good characters in it. Even if you think that some of them might be underdeveloped right now, to me, the Elephant was so charming in his role. But to I me, mean, the Elephant's always charming. Like that's, that's- <laughs> <laughs> and this show used that to its advantage. 
Not only that, and I know that this is a part that you probably won't really appreciate, but this also added new elements to the canon that up until now either were up in the air or previously weren't expanded upon. For instance, the, I'm, this is a minor detail, but the Kray Dragons also like billowing out like this acid. That wasn't mm-hmm. a thing that was ever really discussed or known before until now, and this adds new things to now like this canon of the bestiary. Not only that, but this also offers a we were talking earlier, assuming what happened to uh, to Boba Fett originally, they mentioned in this show that the Krayt Dragon lives in an abandoned Sarlacc pit because it ate the, the Krayt Dragons eat Sarlaccs. So it's potential that a Sarlacc ate the, I mean, a, a Krayt Dragon ate the Sarlacc that uh, Boba yeah. Fett was in, and that helped him escape. But it damaged, because his armor looks like it's got acid burns on it, it definitely looks a lot more like worn out than it was in Return of the Jedi, which is the last time we saw it. So there's a possibility that that's what happened. And then, jumping to the end, we now officially have confirmation that Boba Fett is, in fact, alive. Is that uh, Boba Fett, though? That is Tamira Morrison, who played yeah, Tamira Fett. Who made a bunch of clones of himself in the first... Or in Attack of the Clones. So uh, could, uh, that, could that not be one of the clones? Well, the only reason I, why that's unlikely is because Boba Fett was the only one that didn't receive the growth acceleration. He was mm-hmm. growing at a normal rate. Yeah, so the clones all the other, yeah, all the other clones would either be way too old or dead by this point. They would have just died out because they were growing at like three and a half times the normal rate, or aging at three and a half times. Yes, I forget the exact ratio, but it's somewhere in that you know. I mean, okay. the last clones that you saw were in Star Wars Rebels, and they were pretty old. So, and that was right before like the start of A New Hope. Yeah. So. And they were already like gray-haired. Yeah. Bald. And... Well, we'll we'll see if he's playing Boba Fett. I mean, most uh, he's definitely credited as that in IMDb, but at the same time, like you said before, anybody can add information on there. Um, yeah. He's never credited as Boba Fett. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to note as well that when you see him, he's watching over the events of the, the great crate dragon hunt that happened here. And he seems to be wearing um, sand person or Tusken Raider gear. Like he's definitely got a Gatterfee stick. And yep. what looks like one of their rifles. Um, but he's not wearing anything on his head. So if he was wearing any kind of headgear, he definitely took it off. There's a theory that he was actually at that sit-down, that campfire that they have earlier in the episode. And that he's kind of off in the background. Um, but that hasn't been confirmed either. There's a possibility. Two things are going to happen with this reveal. Either one, this is just a callback for the fans saying, okay, yes, Ove is live. There, you know, because... It was never official. In the Expanded Universe, yes, he was alive. But ever since the Disney changes, um, you know that wasn't exactly clear. Now it is. And it leaves the door open for you know more adventures or more about what's been going on with him in the meantime. Okay. It could be Boba Fett. There you go. Very likely. Very likely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it, it they they do is everything they can to try and defeat this crate dragon, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually it takes 
uh, Mandalorian or Jar Jen Jajar or whatever his name is to to uh, sacrifice himself by going into the belly of the crate with, with a of <laughs> Bantha that's a, that has a whole bunch of explosives on it. Yep, because you kill it from the inside, like Drax said. Yes. Because hitting it in the belly didn't work for some reason, but you know it's definitely all soft and smushy on the inside, which also has a callback to Return of the Jedi, when uh, Mandalorian and Cobb Banth are both kind of standing together. Um, Mandalorian says something like, "Hey, take care of the kid for me," and he like hits him in the back of the jetpack, and it sends him flying off. That's mm-hmm. basically what happened to uh, Boba Fett in Boba Fett. The, yeah. the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it's like. Those jetpacks, man, they have that, you know, switch on the back. They got to take care of that. Put a cover <laughs> on it or something. I honestly thought by the time you got to the end of this episode, Pedro Pascal, <laughs> his character, was going to say, you earn the armor and let Cobb Vant keep it. I mean, ideally, that would have been like, yeah, you're worthy of having the armor, but it's not about that. It's about like his convictions is definitely like, no, like there's a strict way that we do things. And like, that's that's just not going to happen. Like, Clearly, with as long as they both had to think about that, you and I were the only ones having that thought process. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I kind of thought it too, but I actually didn't even take it from the Mandalorian prospect. I took it from the bounty hunting prospect is that you make a deal, you stick to the deal. So, yeah, I mean, that was a big deal. Like, I feel like I would still be like, hey, I'm glad you got your use out of this, but now I'm going to take it. I had to go inside that thing. Like, <laughs> I'm taking my shit. <laughs> I mean, the Mandalorian did get a nice bonus, though. They gave him a big chunk of that crate meat to take back to uh, to his ship. It's probably going to keep him fed for a while. I know. Maybe and also... Right. <laughs> the, well, part of the deal was that uh, if the Tusken Raiders helped with killing the, the the Kray Dragon, the Tusken Raiders would no longer bother the town. They wouldn't raid them or attack them anymore. They mm-hmm. would keep to themselves. But they wanted to keep the Kray Dragon's carcass and any of its byproducts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, sure enough, once they're sifting through its remains, like a beached whale that exploded, uh, one of them pulls out a giant like basketball-sized white pearl. Yep. Which, again, going back to Knights of the Old Republic days, that's actually a story element in the game. Uh, Crate Dragon Pearls, as you can imagine, are rare, expensive. Uh, Within the Tusken Raider culture, they're also a sign of courage. In other words, if you have a pearl, that shows that you you killed a big beast, kind of like the the insignias or the patches that the Mandalorians get when they've done something similar. Um, And... They also are known to have uh, lightsaber properties. So uh, in Knights of the Old Republic, you can either give the pearl to the Tusken Raiders or keep it because it has unique properties that give you a particularly powerful lightsaber blade. I kept mine. So (laughs) John just answered our question because we were debating. We were like, is that a pearl or is that an egg? Yeah, because we didn't know anything about the expanded universe, so we—I was like, "Oh man, did, is the thing? Are they going to grow one of their own?" But yeah, great <laughs> dragon. They're going to domesticate it. No, so like the idea is that it's basically uh, they have like those. Uh, it's like a gizzard stone, so it just gets shaped over time from all the grinding, 
and it becomes purified by the stomach acids, and then it just becomes that calcified lump that's like you know nice and pretty. Now, in the Star Wars universe, is it used for uh, only like ornamental um, uses, or does it actually does it have like some type of? He said it has lightsaber properties. Oh, my bad. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Although the, the ones the ones that they've shown before in previous uh, iterations, it's much more manageable. Like it's like like a real pearl would be. Uh, this thing being that huge, I don't know if that makes this one particularly special. This is like the hope diamond of crate dragon <laughs> pearls or something. It's, it's except why would an animal that large have such a small pearl? Like it would proportionally speaking, the size that came out is accurate to the size of the, yeah. the crate dragon you see on screen. Do they just not get that big or? Uh, well, unless, unless the other crate dragons are smaller and therefore they have smaller pearls. Yeah. Because, the, and I the think one. they hinted that, that this was a particularly huge crate yeah. dragons, but I still yep. don't imagine them being that much smaller though. So yeah, you I don't go know. from like this to like a, like a, yeah, you go from like basketball ball. size to like volleyball <laughs> size. Yeah. Yeah. I think the difference in sizes of the crate dragons was like regular crate 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 dragons are like great white sharks. This thing was like a megalodon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, that pretty much, uh, I mean, for an episode that at least I thought was really cool overall, not a lot happened story-wise. I don't (laughs) need a lot of story anymore. I'm done with story. (laughs) This is, this was just like, this was like a good, like period piece, like mood setting. It was well-directed, good action, good special effects. And it felt more like a standalone thing, which isn't that bad overall, but I do prefer having some kind of overarching thing. The only real thing that we know is that the Mando's looking for more Mandalorians to help him find baby Yoda's family. And at the end, we're still right back where we started. So I don't know what else is to be expected. Last season two. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get much of the overarching storyline till maybe the last couple episodes. Well, if we're if what I'm hearing is true, we're going to start having those branching stories with other characters like halfway through the season. So maybe it might not take that much longer. We'll start seeing other things develop out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, there was uh, an interview with Giancarlo Esposito who said that uh, we're not actually going to get any real answers until the end of the third season going into the fourth season. Damn. Well, they got a plan. I'm trying to think of this. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. But I'm trying to think there's not a lot going on in the universe right now other than the Empire is trying to build itself back up with with Admiral Sloan to turn into the First Order. But that still takes years at a time. So, Well, except anytime you have power vacuums, you have large amounts of small conflict that could be utilized. I mean, because if you think back to human history, the Dark Ages were constant strife because you had a power vacuum with the fall of Rome. And until you have your German and French and English and Italian and Spanish empires kind of grow, at least in Europe, you just have a bunch of small clans fighting each other. So, I mean, there's space for 
storyline. Just not any big overarching storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anybody expect there to be a big surprise like a, a baby Yoda in this season? I mean, we would have got it in this first episode if there was. I mean, I guess Boba Fett being alive still is the big surprise. Well, from where has it, we might be seeing characters from other parts of the canon finally appearing in live action for the first time. Yep. Okay. I don't know. Do you think we're going to see Obi-Wan? Because, like, a thing came out that Ewan McGregor put on his Obi-Wan outfit again while he was visiting the set of Mandalorian. I so mean, I'm like, like, everybody was like, ooh, he's it again. He's going to have his own show. And I'm like, wait, no, why was he on the set of Mandalorian? Like, that was. Well, I was kind of hoping that there was going to be a small nod to Obi-Wan wearing like his Mandalorian or his um, Clone Wars armor at mm-hmm. the end of the season when uh, because they kept teasing the flashbacks with Din Djarin, uh when he's hiding in there and then the super battle droid is about to shoot him. I kept thinking, OK, we're going to see a lightsaber come in out of frame and like slice that battle droid. And we're either going to hear his voice or maybe we'll even see him or maybe just from like from the back or something. We'll see like the armor and we'll know that it's him because it's a very distinctive look. It's, you know, he still has his Jedi like cape, but he's got stormtrooper looking armor on. It's a very distinctive look that I've always liked. I thought it was kind of cool. Like, yeah, that looks like a general, not like, you know, just wearing robes and stuff. Um and that didn't happen, obviously. What really did end up happening was it was just uh, the other Mandalorians rescued him and adopted him. But since those flashbacks do take place during the Clone Wars, there's the possibility we can maybe see something like that happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I assume, or I don't, I guess I am assuming that did did the Ahsoka Tano character have uh, interactions with Obi-Wan? Yes. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that could be part of whenever she shows up. They're also, one of the other things could also just be that they had uh, Ewan McGregor dressed up as Obi-Wan to do screen testing for his show. Uh, they were just using that screen <laughs> thing. Yeah. You're dashing Jessica's I know, dreams. I, I know. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's uh, yeah. it, Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor showing up as Obi-Wan is probably be another one of the great things that all the fans would really want so i could see it happening i could see john favreau throwing in there too um Mm -hmm. any anything else in particular anybody really wants to see in this season that that black lightsaber (laughs) (laughs) i want to know more about i want to go more about the mandalorian culture and maybe get some more backstory on who the Fets actually are, like what Django Fett's whole thing was. Like, was he at some point a from a faction of Mandalorians? Um, did he just have Mandalorian armor because it's that good and you know it's good to have? So maybe get a little bit more backstory on that would be nice. Um, mm. I don't expect we'll get it because I know that that's how they like to tease, but it would be nice to just get a little more confirmation. That's my big worry about the Boba Fett reveal at the end of this episode is that that's all we're gonna get. That was just like, okay, yeah, he's alive. He's out there in the world right now. We're not going to touch that right now. But he's there, just so you know. 
don't know. I feel like we're always going to be going back to Tatooine, like no matter what. We're in the outer rim. It's always going to be Tatooine. Once again, <laughs> there will be an entire episode in Tatooine, and we'll learn so much more about Tatooine. It's all going to turn out that there's like a huge influx or like a nexus of the forces underneath uh, some, some cave in there. There's a cave of wonders. Okay. <laughs> is that is that where Ray buried that lightsaber at? Probably, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> there, there's a reason why we keep going back to it. It's got to be right. Like Tatooine does have some underground cave that has all these kyber crystals in it and becomes the next kyber crystal planet for little Jedi younglings. Yeah, which they're going to need because Ilum, you know, gets destroyed. So, yeah. well, I mean. That's what that's what the people in this episode were doing. They're miners, right? They were they were there was a little mining town. They were well, they were definitely mining for crystals, but they call them something else. I can't remember what they said now, but yeah, they weren't kyber crystals. But yeah, Mm -hmm. it's same same logic. They were probably in that same field. You have to use the force to get kyber crystals. (laughs) This world doesn't really know much about the Jedi. This segment. No, this segment wouldn't know too much about it anymore so they might call it something else and it might be a kyber crystal a kyber crystal god yeah and it does seem like and they pointed out in my galaxy's edge book that i read that people can see a kyber crystal and not know what it is in fact the main character who is part of the rebellion working directly under leia picked up a kyber crystal and had ooh went ooh pretty had no idea what it was so it could well, that was be. also Jen Urso, I think. Jen Urso had a kyber pendant, and yeah, it was just it's something her dad gave her. Yeah, they're like, oh, and oh, that used to power lightsabers, lady. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they could definitely be mining something. They could be mining kyber crystals and not know that that's what they're mining. Mm-hmm. This is true. Okay. Anything else anybody wants to go over? Yes. Uh, now, in the previous, um, I think they called them Star Wars. Well, it wasn't Legends before, but they used to have a series of like Star Wars what ifs. Mm-hmm. And in one of these stories, uh, they introduced uh, the the idea of Skippy the Jedi droid. Huh? Okay. And so <laughs> it, essentially, this was the story of the R5D4 droid. It was a, a droid that worked at Jabba's palace mm-hmm. and it became self-aware mm. and it realized that it could move things with its mind or its central processor as it would call it and he realized that there was something greater calling him oh, and no. so he he left the the palace he wandered around in the desert he was found by the Jawas uh-huh. and then he ends up in that like yard sale that they're having with the the Lars homestead uh-huh. and um when Luke is buying him, he says, "No, the Force is telling me that it's not my place. That it needs that uh, the the blue one needs to go with them." So he blows himself up in order to allow for the Force's will to carry on with letting R two be bought by Luke instead. And when Luke says, "This one's got a bad motivator," the droid thinks to itself, "Not at all. I am the most yeah. motivated of them all," or something like that. By the force. No, no, no. It's R2-D2 has the force, and he knew he needed to go with Luke Skywalker, so he used the dark side to blow up that droid. <laughs> That's what it is. He, 
R2 force choked R5. Creating sentient robots in the Star Wars universe. The only reason I bring up this ridiculous what if story is because in this same book, in the same collection, is where they introduce the idea of uh, Darth Maul coming back and then having one final duel with Obi-Wan in the desert of Tatooine. That eventually became adapted and uh, was accepted as canon in Rebels. Rebels. Good episode. Um, but this is where that started. This started as a what if. And apparently George Lucas, when he got wind of it, and was like, why'd you bring back Darth Maul? And I said, well, we feel good. Like, it ended kind of anticlimactic. They need to have one last showdown. You know, we'll oh, have all this. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh he's clearly anticlimactic. He's like half witch. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and they explain like he has like a robotic lower torso. He hints that he went through hell and back basically to get here. And that's been fleshed out a bit more now in Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, but yeah, so because that started as a what if story and then eventually became adapted to be canon, I'm saying that there's a high possibility that R5 is in fact a Jedi droid. No. And he's got a greater purpose that we still don't know the full extent of. He'll probably come around and save Mandalorian here one of these days. All right. I mean, he has this issue with droids, so having him once again saved by a droid would be interesting. Right. I want to see R5 get that full body treatment, like that R2 unit in the last episode (laughs) of last season where it stands up. (laughs) That would be pretty cool. He just transforms into like super R5. Yeah, he gets that. uh, He gets the Hulkbuster outfit. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) exactly like that. (laughs) yep so that's skippy the jedi droid okay well if you'd like to at me for my terrible opinion on the mandalorian you can find me on twitter i am at mitchipedia g-e-m g-e-m stands for geek elite media jess where can people find you online you can find me on twitter as jm bailey writes john i am on twitter at magic bollocks contact me and uh i'll tell you where mitch lives (laughs) (laughs) that's That's cruel to me john (laughs) uh you can find steven on his website peppermintgentleman.com that has links to all of his uh social social medias and elizabeth you can find me with the rest of geek elite media at geek elite media and our facebook page forward slash geek elite media uh, check out our website geeklymedia.com for archived episodes of this, of this podcast and other podcasts on our website or on our network uh, check out our Patreon we have lots of bonus material that you can only get there if you're one of our patrons it is chock full of cool things <laughs> please <laughs> rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you use so it helps spread the word of our network but until next time This is the Geeks Watch on the Geekly Media Network saying always remember to geek geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.